the simplest commercial baking resource. Brought to you by Bakerpedia and hosted by Lynn Carson with a PhD in grain sciences. Sharing knowledge and helping you grow connections. Listening to the Baked in Science podcast. Welcome to Baked in Science. Today I will be interviewing a serial scientist and a couple of doughheads found here at IFT 18, which is the annual convention for the Institute of Food Technologists. We will be discussing proteins and the new innovations found here at the show. Hi, I'm your host, Lynn Carson, CEO of Bakerpedia. Have a question on gluten? Go Bakerpedia at bakerpedia.com. Today's episode is brought to you by the Institute of Food Technologists. One of the largest of its kind, IFT's annual event and food expo brings together science of food professionals and solution providers from around the globe. They represent all segments of the profession, all converging with the intention to inspire and transform collective knowledge into innovative solutions to advance our planet's food safety, nutrition, and sustainability. Learn more and be a member today at ift.org. Hey listeners, do I have an expert for you today for proteins. Hi Odie. Hello. This is Odie Meningut, and he is the CSO of MGP. So being the Chief Science Officer, what is your role at MGP? My, my primary role, Lynn, is really uh, product innovation. Uh-huh. Uh, MGP is a wheat-based ingredient company, mm-hmm. and we specialize on wheat starches and wheat proteins. And in the early 90s, MGP is one of the few companies that embark on value addition of wheat proteins. Mm -hmm. So at that time, we were able to come up with value-added protein ingredients like hydrolyzed wheat protein. And at the same time, we were able to texturize wheat protein to be able to use those ingredients in vegan, vegetarian applications, and even in meat extension. And of course, there's a chance to flavor the uh, texturized product for snack applications. Interesting. Right. Before we go into all the wheat protein isolates, the reason why I asked you to come on the show today is because I know you've got like an immense background in proteins. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your past? I mean, you have quite a bit of publications and patents. What, what makes you so passionate about this field? You're a graduate of Kansas State University, right? Co- correct, Lynn. Uh, but I need to mention to you that my early career was um, spent in the Philippines where my background is really chemistry and agricultural chemistry. Oh, okay. I was fortunate to be um, working for an international research institution, you know, International Rice Research Institute in the Philippines where I was exposed to carbohydrates, protein, uh-huh. and, and lipid technology or chemistry. And I came to the U.S. as a graduate student. Oh, I okay. was, I was uh, accepted as a graduate research assistant at Kansas State University. And the, the principal uh, subject for my dissertation is really chemical modification of wheat starts. Wow. So, 
So who, is he, who is he, professor? It's Dr. Paul Sai. Oh, yeah. I love Dr. Sai. Yeah. yeah. He's a preeminent, you know, uh, carbohydrate scientist. And, of course, uh, there are many other professors with a lot of expertise at, K at Kansas State, you know, uh, Carl Hosny, Susan Sun, Correct. and many others. So when I finished my uh, graduate education, I was basically asked uh, by MGP who... Uh, funded my dissertation mm -hmm. whether I would be interested to join the company Interesting. because they have the interest to commercialize uh, modified wheat starch. And, and we know that Dr. Saib was pretty much a pioneer in this, in this sector in terms of modified starches. Correct. Yeah. Correct. I Meaning he studied under, uh, you know, Roy Whistler, who is Yes, like the Whistler. The, the king of yeah. carbohydrate. And <laughs> exactly. that's, what, that's where the Whistler Research Center <laughs> right. Purdue was named after. Yep. So he, he's a very, very intelligent person. And I'm happy oh, yeah. to mention to you that he's really my mentor. Yeah. Uh, he's a father-like uh, figure to me. So when I was employed at MGP, the company processes wheat flour into protein and, and carbohydrates. which that's is correct with gluten and, and with starch. Right. But at that time, those two uh, fractions of wheat flour are heavily commoditized. Oh. So our sales and marketing uh, department were very interested on how do we add value. And of course, we started with uh, modification of wheat starch, you know, the traditional cross-linking, oxidation, double modification. Right. And that's the birth of... Uh, you know, our uh, resistant uh, wheat starch, which is fibrosim. Yeah. But then, of course, there's a core product, which is the protein side. Yeah, exactly. You, you took out the starch, what are you going to do with the proteins? Correct. Now, do yeah. something with the proteins. Yeah, do something with the protein, <laughs> because they, you cannot be successful in one and, and leave true. the sister product Correct. behind, you know. Right. So the obvious question is, um, wheat gluten is the muscle that makes, you know, bread rise and, and right. retain the gas. But it's heavily commoditized. Somebody can just pick up the phone and ask for, you know, what's your price, and, and you can easily get it. But so our idea then is to add value. And, and we have lots of competition then from European gluten and other imported gluten. Mm -hmm. So the idea really is um, how can we develop value-added wheat proteins? And, and that's when really I got exposed to... Uh, so-called modifying proteins, but I guess my experience at Kansas State prepared me yeah. for, for this kind right. of Right, because that's project. when I met you, was when you were correct. selling wheat protein isolate. Correct. I, I had no idea of your correct. starch path. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And I, I, of course, I, I, I recognized that you were at the time employed with uh, Wendy's, Wendy's, Wendy's Bakery, and right. we, we touch base, and right. we always, every year, Yep. Touch base at AACC. We see like we see each other like two times a year at least <laughs> yeah. when I was at Wendy's. Yeah. Right. I think there's a good rapport, you know, relationship among um, KSU graduates because we, I think, we do have a yeah. good network. Yeah. That's for sure. Um, which brings me to my next point. Um, why are you guys so specialized in proteins and the functionality of proteins? Yours is a plant-based solution. I mean, I, I like plant-based solution. How do oh how can we see it being used in food products you know um, to add value to our products as bakers and as snack food makers 
um, in, in, in today's trend. Okay. You know, um, we are somewhat unique because we manufacture and sell a very unique protein, meaning with gluten or with protein in general, it's the only protein that has the ability to make a viscoelastic dough That's and, true. and retain gas and, and give you that, that, that soft, pliable texture of, of let's say, a bread. And um, having said that, um, of course, the emerging food trends always ask, and we have to address them, are, you know, non-GMO, clean label, right. um, allergen-free, and so on. But uh, in the case of wheat, you know, that's not an issue, the allergenic portion, because we cater to primarily the baking industry and the pasta and noodle industry. So um, in order to capture a large share of the market, um, it's already plotted with, with gluten coming from oh, all yeah. over the place. Oh, yeah. Gluten is very widely available. Yeah, Correct. Based on price, yeah. Correct. So we, we look at wheat uh, gluten functionality, and of course, I think we can do something with respect to the ratio of elasticity and extensibility. Right, so enhance its, its functionality, functionality that way. Co correct. That's a good idea yeah. to do that. It, it's like the nub in a radio right. or a TV that you can dial in for more extensibility or, or dial to the left, for example, to give you more elasticity. And that's why we have a range of this with protein isolates. Right. Not only that it is higher in protein versus vital with gluten, but it has those uh, choices in which the consumer um, can opt to use whether they want an extensible protein, ex especially for flatbread type products right. like flour tortilla, yeah. pizza crust. Yeah, I mean, it goes so to my point, if, if someone making flatbreads, tortillas, and pizza wants to increase their protein content, they don't want to use the real, real, you know, vile wheat gluten because it's just going to make it more bucky. You have a product, right. right, that actually is more extensible when you add it in, and it increases the protein content which, without making the dough bucky. That's Correct. my question. Correct. Yeah, the, the buckiness of the dough is going to be a major problem. Yeah. The machinability suffers, so yep. you, you need this wheat protein isolate to give it the right um, extensibility so it can be processed in the machinery. So can I ask for our listeners, what's so special about this particular wheat, wheat protein isolate? And is it safe to consume this modified wheat protein isolate to make the pizza dough more extensible? Yes, and we have um, several variations in our wheat protein isolate. We started again in the 90s, as I mentioned earlier, of value addition on wheat protein. So our uh, prominent products then, you know, by, by name is Arise 5000, which is a highly extensible protein. Mm -hmm. And then we have six sister products like Arise uh, 6000, for example, and Arise 8000. What's unique about this is um, it, it gives the uh, ability to um, really um, make the, uh, the flour tortilla and other flatbread products uh, easily machinable or processed. And it is a protein additive. You can probably accomplish that also with, mm -hmm. with other chemical additives, right. but in this world of clean label, yeah. And so on. So what will be on my statement label if I use your wheat protein isolate that's extensible? 
with protein isolate will be in the ingredient that's it with that's protein it. isolate with protein isolate okay correct. that's pretty clean yes it's okay. pretty clean now i need to mention that i as i mentioned to you we have um a so-called um, a library of with protein isolates what i mean by that is um, at the very first time that we conceive of the idea of with protein isolate with this uh, different ratios of extensibility and elasticity, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we use a chemical additive which is sulfite. And it was successful, you know, right. you know, companies are using it, but we proactively said that in this day and age of clean yep. label, yep. Uh, sulfite is an allergen, especially yes. for sensitive individuals like Correct. people afflicted with asthma. Yep. So we decided to look at alternatives and, you know, we know the chemistry of how you make a protein extensible. So I found an alternative ingredient, one that's accepted in the industry. Okay. And of course that product is L-cysteine, yes, but please don't, please don't be alarmed by L-cysteine because L-cysteine, the old uh, way of how it's being used as an additive is it's being sourced from ex extracting from animal hair yep. and yep. birds feather mm -hmm. but fortunately there's a company who came up with what we call a vegan L-cysteine mm -hmm. so that triggered me to initiate a project and basically try to mimic the functionality of, of the one that contains sulfite and determine what level to use of L-cysteine and mimic the properties. And that's how we came about with two other products that we have now in the market, you know, Arise right. 8100 and Arise 8200. That are which are datum replacers. Which are datum replacers right. too, I correct. I remember that. Yeah, right. we so, so I think you're the one that sent me on my journey to find out more about this L-cysteine um, particular ingredient because I was interested in mm. it because, you know, mm -hmm. our, our page shows that it's still of duck feathers and hair origin. <laughs> so I dug a little bit more mm. and I actually approached them mm -hmm. and we are actually working together to change the page mm -hmm. for L-cysteine because mm -hmm. what they have launched is actually very innovative. And I'm mm -hmm. floored by their technology. Mm -hmm. So, applause to you for mm -hmm. figuring for figuring that Thank one you. out first, and you know, getting it to the market. Mm -hmm. It's a great product. I've seen it work. Um, so, on that end, how can a say a baker improve the protein quality? Uh, sorry, protein quantity of a baked good without affecting its rheological properties? Like, I want to make a high-protein flatbread, what can I do? It's a very interesting question, Lynn. But here's where we're coming from, you know, again, with, with Clean Label and the emergence of plant-based proteins. We have intellectual properties that we can use to our advantage. Right. Um, we are thinking, and probably this will come um, in our one of our product launches, but we're thinking of uh, getting this composite blends of, let's say, a wheat protein plus an emerging protein, you know, from pulses or other plant, oh, plant sources. Oh, interesting. Okay. So, so when we do that, and this is not just a physical mixing, we have the technology to make them like link together. Oh, wow. And guess what the immediate advantage is? You, know, you were asking about 
protein fortification yes. that will elevate the protein. But right. you know, when you use pulse proteins, there's the complementary effect of the amino acid composition, where yes. basically the, the scoring system that they use in the industry is PD-CAS. So wheat protein is known to be low in lysine, yes. but it's high in methionine. Okay. And another pulse protein will be high in lysine, yep. mm -hmm. but low in, in methionine. Right. So when you have a certain ratio, whether you call Excellent. it... Excellent. So not 20, just 70, high protein, but a complete protein, pro co amino cor acid profile. Correct. So Okay, that makes sense. So that means also that the, 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 the blend may be perfect for increasing the protein without really changing much the the functionality of the bread without mm -hmm. getting it too bucky or 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 too extensible. Mm -hmm. So that's in our yeah. mind, mindset is to go you know through that process and and being able to really take advantage of what's going on in the industry that's and the, and the availability of these proteins. You know they are you know it's the day of sustainability and yep. environmentally friendly product and mm -hmm. concern for animal welfare. So there is a lot of uh, really emphasis on, on these plant-based proteins to be embraced by many companies, yeah. and that includes MVP. I, I don't think bakers know enough of proteins to really be educated on providing a complementary mm. profile mm -hmm. of proteins. Mm -hmm. Does, do you offer that, that um, solution, that product, a mixed pulse and wheat kind of... Um, um, product for the baker to use? We can help with, let's say, um, doing some calculation uh -huh. on, because all I need is really the amino acid composition of if you want to have a binary mixture of proteins. We can have an estimate of okay. how the PDCAS score yeah. will improve, right. but of course that one is always uh, tied up with a, uh, a mouse digestibility study or a rat digestibility study. That's true. Which can be done, but it's an expensive kind of, yeah. uh, of testing. But I think it's us being available to work with our potential oh, customers okay. so you're able to be to able work to guide that. them. Okay. Yeah. Because what I'm concerned is when um, bakers increase their protein content and you know their, their, their flatbread protein quantity mm. and they get all this you know, um, what do you call, uh, mixed results rheologically <laughs> because all these other non-functional proteins come into, into the picture and affects water absorption but doesn't provide any kind of functionality. Um, and then if you use too much wheat gluten, you, know, you can't do that in flatbread. You know, have you in your experience used a percentage of X flour, X flour and wheat protein to get? A higher because I know I read I've read one of your papers you mm -hmm. did a low carb what tortilla of flatbread right bread it, it's a, a low it's carb a, bread low carb bread how, how did you do that well that was actually a partnership uh, or a joint project with the American Institute of Baking mm -hmm. and at, that was developed during the time of the low carb days and mm -hmm. and so Really, that was a very challenging uh, uh, job to come up with the so-called perfect recipe because you said it earlier. You cannot just make a high-protein, low-carb by just 
adding more gluten mm -hmm. becomes too bulky. Oh yeah. You cannot even process it. Yep. But guess what the magic ingredient yeah. is? It's it's a rice with protein isolate. Oh, it okay. made the gluten become more extensible. Malleable. Malleable. Okay. So we, we were able to really up the protein and be able to make that high protein, low carb. Uh, so you know, it takes some yeah. effort to do that. But to, to answer your question on, on what I heard earlier, yeah, it's true that when you add a protein for fortification, we have to be aware that you're really adding a diluent. You know, if, if it's yeah. not just pure gluten, maybe plus something else. But we cover ourselves when we develop these binary mixtures. Yeah. We tried to do all the rheological testing. One of them is, of course, the mixograph. Right. We can easily tell, you know, the mixing strength, the mixing time, low or short mixing time. And so we can predict from the blend. But <clears throat> we also take the blend and add it to flour at 1, 3, and 5% level and see the effect on the rheology using right. a, a mixograph instrument. So everything can be prevented. Any surprise can be prevented by doing really the work that one has to do to anticipate not to encounter the problem when it's being used you know in, in the real world that's true. so we're doing the testing in our uh, product development stage oh that's good do you have technical support on your side if a baker needs help in terms of application usage correct yeah we have a team that that can help <coughs> our customer with um, <coughs> applications but also um, we are not as a big a company as, as the others, mm -hmm. but we, that doesn't limit us to help our customers. We can always outsource help, okay. you know, by, by working with uh, Kansas State University, That's true. by American Institute of Baking. I love that, partnerships. Correct, and, yeah. and I think, you, you know, you, you have to reach out you because, you know, you cannot have all the tools in your Right. Toolbox, you know, you have to go out and, and source them. I love it, I love so, it. So that's, that's what we do. That's great. Well, thank you for joining me today, Odie. It's really great to hear your ideas on how to increase protein content in baked goods. I really appreciate you coming here. Thank you for having me, Lynn. Thank you. We take a break to thank IFT for bringing this episode to you. IFT's annual event and food expo brings together over 20,000 science of food professionals and solution providers. They come to share and learn about the latest innovation in the science of food. Learn more and become a member at IFT.org. Welcome, Emily and Nick. Um, today we have Emily Guilfoyle, the R&D project manager at T. Mazzetti's, and Nick McCreary, sales director at AIB International. Nick, could you tell our audience, what do you do at AIB? Okay, at AIB, I, uh, I'm the category sales director for the baking and food technical services. So I am selling and promoting our, our baking and food technical services, bakery consulting, labeling services, customized training, lab services, etc. Great. And what's your background? I'm a baker. Yeah. I've, uh, I bought a bakery when I was 21. I know. And That's so a great story right there. You shared with me just now. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was a tough one. Yeah. I mean, all bakers that go through building your own bakery, like myself too, it's, it's just a tough journey. Yeah. Right? And um, you shared with me that you helped you uh, build a sprouted bakery? Yep. Yep, in the Seattle area, we had a sprouted grain bakery, and 
Did that for three years and another great education in, yeah. uh, in baking. <laughs> we'll talk more about that later. How about okay. that? <laughs> Emily, could you tell our audience a little bit more about yourself and what yeah. you do at Team Rosetti's? Um, I graduated from Kansas State University in 2010 with a degree in food science. I've attended multiple courses with AIB, so thank you very much. Um, <laughs> I uh, did ingredient technology for uh, close to seven years, and now I manage projects through... Uh, um, finished product development uh, for all the brands at my company, uh, fo- mainly focused on bakery, of course. Very good. Um, so we are at IFT, and IFT uh, 2018 is, to me, one of the more significant shows this year I've been to, mainly because I'm seeing all this innovation coming out from the floor. Um, is there anything, Emily, that really piqued your interest? Um, yeah, there is a couple different things. I think the main thing is basically the focus and trend on high protein everything. I know. Um, it's yes. everywhere, whether it's different glutens, fibers, pulses, just different kind of options and opportunities Correct. to fortify your product with protein, yes. which is really encouraging um, as a baker, uh, you know, just to see what new technologies are out there. Also, I was very interested in an ascorbic acid replacement technology utilizing enzyme solutions, which I thought was very innovative and something that's new to the baking industry, um, which was interesting for me. Yeah. Um, Nick, did you see anything that piqued your interest? Yeah, I would agree with what, what Emily just said on the, on the higher protein, and, and I mean, even, even from crickets, you know, and, and a lot of plant-based protein products, and, and then just, for me, the things, you see a lot of organic, a lot of GMO-free, um, just a lot of custom product. Right. So. Honest opinion on crickets and baked food. I thought the ginger snap tasted good. <laughs> right after you made that face that our audience can't see and how you cringed. <laughs> All right, okay. <laughs> you, you, you tasted it. I did taste it. I, Was there it, any kind of bitter aftertaste? No, but I think it's, it's, a, it's a strong flavored product. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't know if you'd put it in, in something that's a very neutral flavor. Yeah, that's true. So, so something that needs to be flavored heavily. Yeah, yeah, then it could Ooh, work. Wow. <laughs> okay. What do you think? I think it's very innovative that we're looking at different um, options and solutions for proteins versus just kind of the run of the mill. But I, I kind of whenever I hear cricket, I think of Jiminy Cricket, not really <laughs> something I'm going to eat. Um, but I think it's it's great that people are looking for more sustainable solutions for protein mm-hmm. um, because in the grand scheme of things, our population increases and we need to uh, find other alternatives uh, to other ingredients as well so go for it I might not eat it but someone will that's true Um, a couple of years I came to IFT uh, I saw like a huge uh, surge in alternative sugars I see some indication of it at this show too but not as much as the proteins have you had any um, um, uh, uh, what do you call have you had any interest in alternative sugar because we we're going to that sugar regulation thing, you know. Right. Um, uh, I have seen a lot of options for sugar replacements. A lot of them, I think they're getting better and better with their 
technology because on some of the products I tried today, um, I definitely noticed there wasn't that aftertaste that you normally get with yes. kind of stevia-based products. So right. I think I that, tasted that too. Yeah, right. I think the technology is getting there more and more. Even with like pea-based proteins and those kinds of things, you definitely don't taste it as much as you used to. So kind of props to the ingredient suppliers that they're making kind of larger strides. My question would be more on the, the actual bulking agent you'd use to replace sugar. Some of these things you're using at probably parts per million um, versus, you know, one to two percent. That's a big difference. So I think just finding out how you're going to optimize your overall formulation based on that will be the challenge um, yeah. in applications. What, what did you taste your stevia product? Um, it wasn't a stevia product. I tasted something at DSM and I can't remember what the product was that they used um, but it, it, it was a yogurt based product and it tasted really sweet but there wasn't really? a lot of sugar and it was yeah. It I was tasted really a stevia product at ADM. Okay. I think it was very good. It was like very light. It's not bitter. There's no aftertaste. Yeah, I was pretty surprised on that yeah. on that technology that yeah. they have. It makes me wonder if something in beverage would be more challenging because of the level of sugar would be so much higher. So again, I think just optimizing whatever the formulation. Actually, I think beverage is easier because there's no you know high temperature to deal with, no breaking down of molecules. So I think beverage would definitely be easier. What I'm concerned with is you know when we bake at such high temperatures, how it breaks down and how it reacts with you know, all the other ingredients after that. And I think that's what causes really the bitter taste and the instability of artificial sugars. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, you know, um, do you have any um, inkling on whether the industry is he- heading to its stevia? I mean, what's what's out, what's out stands on stevia, do you know? Yeah, I'm not sure, I think Again, I think it'll be kind of a lot of different options that the industry kind of comes up with, and finding that blend of different alternatives will be what people go towards, not just one size fits all. It'll be a complex system on how, you, how you're able to deliver um, and still have the and same then, eating quality. Then there's just lots of other sweeteners that things were difficult 10, 15 years ago to find, you know, your barley malt extracts, your coconut sugar you know all these things that you see all over the place now right. um, agave nectar you know and, and I, that's true sourcing becomes less of sure. an issue because it's such a big trend which i think is really great for opportunity really um that there's so many different suppliers now that have alternatives so i think that's really great that's true um what i've seen also i think i would you know, request that you guys go to the Innova Insights booth where it talks about the top 10 trends that they mm-hmm. see. Um, one of the top 10 trends calls out for mindful eating. What does that mean to you when you think about that? What's mindful eating? Thinking about what you're eating, thinking about how much you're eating, thinking about where it's coming from. And yeah, yeah, the effect on the environment. Yeah. Right. right. So that seems to be a really top trend right now. Does anything come to your mind on, from the floor that fits that? The crickets. Yeah. The, I know, right? That's <laughs> <laughs> the first thing that comes to mind is like the crickets. Um, but actually, clean meat comes under that too. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yes. 
And uh, definitely the pull on sustainability. I think yes. a lot of different brands are looking at different sustainability models and where this is coming from, how we're making this and everything, and kind of a more responsible development uh, is definitely kind of more seen out there, I think, which is kind of more on the mindful. There's a story behind every product out right. there. But, but sometimes it really, you know, um, confuses me because really, if you talk about palm oil and its effect on orangutans, and people's perception of palm oil, which is pretty good because it's right. trans fat free. You know, they're like, okay, so where does a mindful fall in that category? Yeah, sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know, so it's, I don't know what it is, really. Sometimes it just confuses me. Right. You know, so I really do think that it's how you sell the yeah, story. Yeah, it's positioning. Right, it's right. positioning, yeah. marketing, having a really strong brand, you know, so it's just like, you know, because if you look at every individual ingredient, you can't craft a story there. Mm-hmm. Like, LG. Yeah. That's a good story. Yeah. But is your customer going to eat LG bread? <laughs> Maybe in 10 years, you know, you never, you know. never know. You never know. <laughs> exactly. I mean, uh, some of the things that we eat today, it's like, I never would have thought that. Uh, yeah. That we would ever, we would ever, I mean, sure. who would have thought we'd be eating crickets? Yeah, right. Well, you I, mean, know? I, I mean, nobody. I think about my, I have a couple adult children and, and what's more important to them, I mean, sustainability is a much bigger thing to them than it was to me when I was that age. Right. It was much more about cost or convenience or whatever for me or whatever right. I wanted. Yeah, and, and I agree too. I think my kids will eat crickets because it's more sustainable. Mm-hmm. Really, <laughs> and it would probably be cool by then to eat crickets. Sure. Yeah. You know, and it would probably be cool by then to eat you know mm-hmm. clean meat because right. it's sustainable. Right. right. So that's. I think that's coming now. You know, I don't think we can prevent that. And you know, when I was um, when I was in college over twenty years ago. We, we, nobody was eating kelp snacks, right? These days, my kids' class, they're having kelp snacks. Yes. Right, yeah. who in the world would think that kelp snacks would be in these days? Right. Like, who in the world would you think, well, what's going to come in the future? Crickets, right? Right. right. But I think that's the great part is there's so much variety now. We're going mm-hmm. in so many different directions. I mean, there's so much innovation in that kind of arena, really, is that no one would have thought that we were going to eat that. And now it's kind of like, well, what else can we do? And, you know, really balancing the food system with our growing population is something that's really kind of almost needed because we need different sources. Uh, we right. can't just all eat the same thing on all the time because sure. we'd run out of it. That's so. true. <laughs> right. So next year you're coming back with a chocolate-flavored fa- cricket <laughs> baked product. Cupcakes. That cupcakes <laughs> that is high in algae fat. Yes. Nice cricket cream. That's yes. <laughs> <laughs> Mint green cricket cream. You know that Emily has the ability to do that with the product development competition, yeah. right? She, okay. uh, she That's actually true. Yeah, she actually runs the product development competition at the American Society of Baking. Okay. Yeah. And if any of you are interested in that, it's you know, it's a twenty thousand dollars. They're giving away twenty thousand dollars in scholarship. You know, the first prize is two thousand dollars for each, you know, school team. Uh, second prize is fifteen hundred. Third prize a thousand. Fourth prize five hundred for each team. And I have never seen a, such an aggressive 
um, reward scheme for any student teams. So um, can you tell us a little bit more about the product development competition? Yeah, sure. So I'm part of a really great uh, product development committee, um, all coming from different areas of the industry, all encouraging students. I actually competed in this in the first year it was done, um, right. which was really fun. Um, and that, I learned a lot. That, like double bread. Loaf bread. divided, yeah. Loaf, loaf divided, yes, that's right. I it was fun, um, really fun. And, and what I realized is that, you know, giving back to the community and giving back to students is really what the future is about, you know. And so giving these students opportunities to present in front of the whole baking industry right. and showcase their products, um, whether they be sweet good of the future, flatbread of the future, which is the theme for next year, um, whether they're focused on health and wellness or trends, is really great for them to think about the whole picture of their product, uh, not necessarily just how it tastes, but their business case, the channel it's going in, mm -hmm. really thinking bigger picture, uh, which I think is going to help those students in their career um, as they go into the industry. And, you know, we'd be very short-sighted to just focus on ourselves and not helping the next generation of bakers or food scientists um, wherever they go, um, whether they go to Allied or to baking companies That's or true. to yeah. wherever they end up. I um, really like the uh, product development competition. So this year, what is the category? Flatbreads. Why flatbreads? Flatbreads are on trend. It's a new category that we haven't actually utilized before. Um, so I think we've had better success when you know people are kind of competing in the same arena um, on participants as well as focus. So flatbread is just kind of on trend and it's a new bakery kind of area. So I think that that's great. That's neat. And when can they enter the competition? I believe the they can start entering by is yeah. October. Deadline to enter is October. Oh, yeah, so they can start entering now till October. Um, we haven't finalized the rules yet, okay. so I will get back to you on oh, final great. dates. Yeah, we'll just leave it in the show notes below. Yes, you know? for um, sure. Yeah, and uh, there will be industry judges, and there will be you know coaches available for students. Yes, so ASB exactly. is really stepping up the game on mentoring new talents into the industry. Yes. and you do get to present during the opening ceremonies, which is in wow. front of sixteen hundred people. So, wow. you know, don't get nervous <laughs> like I do. Um, <laughs> But uh, you know, you were quite nervous. yes, I, I, I yeah, I was I was pretty nervous. But you know, it's a really good opportunity to work on your presentation skills and face your fears and get right. up there and present your idea and run with it, run with it, and really sell your sell your concept because people are buying. That's we true. all love bread. That's so, true. And right. flatbreads. Right. I know. The competition won't fall flat. Right. <laughs> Oh, good one. Are you going to make a t-shirt out of that? I, we should. We, we should. Or pins. Right. Something would be great. Yeah, we'll think so, about it some more. Yeah, so yeah. it's great. Um, it's a good opportunity. So. Great. So we're going to wrap this up. And do you have any last thoughts about the show? Anything that really interests you? Have you seen the artificial nose? Um, That's interesting. You should go see it. Yes. Artificial what? Nose. No. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it does the smelling for you. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> it's always interesting well, seeing it the different. It quantifies. Yeah. It quantifies <laughs> aroma. So yeah, sure. yeah. It's always that. different. Uh, interesting seeing all the different flavor trends and international trends as well. You know, you think about. Um, you know, you kind of get to see a different perspective with so many international companies coming here. You know, on right. what's going on in other countries, not just you know within the U.S. So I think that that has been really great as well. Yeah. 
Great. Right. And the startup section, there was a... Oh my gosh, yeah. That's, the, uh, that's a, a cannabis-based um, I know. CBD oil, or yes. oil ingredient in yes, multiple forms, a water-soluble. section of that, yeah. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, there was an ingredient, a cellulose, that had a different module, or a, like a shape basically the particle size was a different shape and so it changed its actual functionality which i thought was really interesting, interesting. i yeah wow. i would be interested to see how that would work and what replacement it was simple cellulose Ooh, i would like to check that yeah, out so yeah so there was a next session but it's in that smaller area oh, upstairs okay. so but yeah. it was interesting. It was a good presentation. All right. So when are we going to have a cannabis product development competition, Emily? <laughs> Maybe when ASB is in Colorado. No. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe when ASB is in Colorado. Yeah. I mean, um, that's something. That's a good one, right? I think the that's students may like that one. Yeah, yeah everybody will like it. <laughs> All right, guys, let's wrap it up. Thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you very much. This episode was brought to you by Delavaux Food Partners. Delavaux Food Product focuses on solving customers' problems, not selling them products. This approach starts with a deep understanding of a customer's problem, desired outcome, and manufacturing environment. These inputs are then used to derive prototypes that are designed to work in that customer's process within their operating conditions and ultimately to address their performance needs. Visit DelavaoFood.com. That's D-E-L-A-V-A-U-F-O-O-D.com today to learn more. Hey listeners, before you go, one more thing. Please like, comment, and subscribe to Baked in Science. Till the next episode, bakers. Cheers to alternative proteins and the future of food. Oh, 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 oh.